Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I'll be the lead interrogator. And I'm trying to remember that when you talk, people can hear if you're smiling. (laughs) With me is Matt Farrell, my brother. Say hello, Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to remind people that there are ways to directly support the podcast. You can go to stilltbd.fm. In the middle of that page, there will be a link for support. And any sort of donation is both acceptable and appreciated. And we'd like to give a big thanks to an anonymous donor who provided us with support this last week. It really does help the podcast, and we really do appreciate it. Today, we're going to be talking about Matthew's most recent episode, which was exploring passive house design, 90% energy savings, exclamation mark. This is (laughs) not a question mark. This is not a question mark. (laughs) There's no questions in this episode. Yeah. This was from February 23rd, 2021, which means we are on the cusp of our mother's birthday. I have a history of missing her birthday. Oh, we both do because yes. it comes right at the end of after February. February is so a short month. Up on February me. is a short yeah. month, and suddenly you're into March and you're past mom's birthday. So this year I have a card. We're bad, we're bad sons. And our <laughs> listeners, I'm sure, are eagerly awaiting updates on the did Sean get stamps news. As a matter of <laughs> fact, this just in. This just in. <laughs> Sean got some stamps. However, Sean has not yet dropped the birthday card into the post box. Before we start, I wanted to mention some comments on our last episode from, these are found on our YouTube page. This, these were comments on our last episode. And Roger Starkey started out with a question, which was, was there a two-for-one sale on glasses? <laughs> yes, Sean and I look like we shop at the same, same exact store. Yes, Matt and I. It was an accident. Yes, Matt and I, not only did we look like we shop at the same store, we looked like the same guy who shopped at the same store. There was also a question from Gugatis Biatches, which, if I'm mispronouncing your name, I apologize. His question was, do you brush with toupate? Which is a nice follow-up. The tip of the hat. Tip of the hat. Job well done, sir. (laughs) A reference to the fact that I have one-eighth more hair than, than Matthew does. And Jerry Cash jumped in just to laugh at me and say that his grocer sells stamps. So we're not also lucky. <laughs> I did try a local drugstore and their response was, what? <laughs> On to the current video. The subject of this one was passive house design. And I really liked the, the terminology of passive around this because without knowing what that meant at first, I thought, well, how active are most houses? <laughs> they just kind of yeah. just kind of sit, sit there. They just sit there. <laughs> Good job, house. But then getting into the topics of the the video, it really does seem like this seems like 21st century levels of research into energy dynamics. And how they can be used to be more efficient in somehow it feels much more micro scale. You've talked about office building development and the changes that happen there. Mm -hmm. 
somehow that seems simpler because office buildings just inherently seem so energy inefficient. You know, I'm talking from Brooklyn, New York. One of the things about New York City that people talk about passionately is the city skyline at night. And you look out over the river and you see Manhattan and you see Mm -hmm. millions upon millions of light bulbs burning for absolutely no reason. So it's things like that that inherently, like office buildings, of course, there's energy waste that's taking place there. But the passive house design is really kind of fascinating because it's on a micro scale. It's, it's you personally owning a home that does things like helps heat itself up during the winter or cool itself down in the summer. And some of the things you talked about really are common sense, but you kind of forget about it, like where you plant a tree. One of the questions I had was you mentioned at one point the, the dryness of the air in the winter. And yeah, for me, this, this, uh, one of the big issues that I have going on in, in my own life is we're just about at the time of year when allergens are going to start picking back up. And how do you keep yourself from in a passive home? How do you keep yourself from being in a bubble and how do you keep yourself from becoming encapsulated with dust cat dander dog hair like like does all of that play into the design of this or is that something you have to think creatively about on top of the house itself it's a little bit of column a a little bit of column b it's these these erv systems that are circulating the air that's part of what it's doing it's it's exhausting the contaminants from inside the house back out again so dust and those kind of things are getting shunted out and the air that's being brought in is going through filters. So, and then your HVAC system also has filters built into it. So there's a constant filtration and circulation of the air, both inside the house and what's being brought in from the outside. So it's it creates a healthier, a much healthier indoor space than what you would have without it. And it probably also helps to make the indoor space even healthier than the outdoor space, which is usually the exact opposite of a typical house, typical homes. The indoor air is usually more polluted and worse for you than stepping outside. (laughs) So like where you are, it's like, I guarantee you that the air outside your apartment is probably cleaner to breathe than what's in your apartment. So these kind of systems help with that. I would say that that was by and large true of most people around the country, but the part of Brooklyn I live in is very close to what is known as the Gowanus Canal, which is one of the most polluted waterways in the country. And (laughs) it is currently undergoing a cleanup project, which is going to be a multi-year project. And when they started, they were pulling up what they called black mayonnaise. The Gowanus Canal is previously (laughs) going back to the, the beginning of, of, very developed New York was a waterway that had lots of factories and they would dump dyes and oils and there would be chemical spills right into the canal. And Mm -hmm. there famously have been a couple of times there was a couple of years ago where a dolphin got into the Guanas canal and died and animal experts said, well, this, the reason a dolphin would swim into this waterway in the first place is dolphins only do that when they are dying. So people, Mm -hmm. We're saying like, oh my God, the water in the canal killed this dolphin. But experts were saying, no, no, that dolphin was probably already on its way out. 
but they started pulling up this black sludge, which is literally decades of chemicals settled on the bottom. These are chemicals that are heavier than water. So they're sitting in layers on the bottom and they have these huge dredges that are pulling up this black mayonnaise. And this stuff is so thick and so heavy that one of the barges that they were using to collect it actually sank. So they <laughs> adding to the stuff at the bottom. Yeah, they they had this barge and it had a crane on it and they were loading the mayonnaise onto the crane the 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 barge and then they sank the barge with the crane. So one of the byproducts of all this is when they started doing the cleanup project. Word started going around the various neighborhoods that are along the canal. Do you smell something? And the odor is, depending on the time of day, depending on the humidity in the air, depending on the weather, is a very rank septic smell that can actually creep in through. So basically, it's a welcome to Brooklyn. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Delicious. Yeah. Is that sewage you're smelling? Welcome to the BK. So Uh, clean air indoors sounds like a great thing and uh, mm-hmm. one of the other elements of this house design is you talked about thermal bridges and are they a part of the jeff bridges and lloyd bridges family no. or no okay <laughs> you mentioned that studs can be a thermal bridge which is actually one of the reasons why i'm not allowed in most houses <laughs> I was waiting for it. Yeah. I knew there was I knew there was gonna be a joke as soon as you brought up studs. Yeah. I was like, where's Sean gonna go with this? There we go. There you go. I was just wondering about the various building materials that can be used that help combat that bridging effect. And you mentioned a few of them quickly. Are composite materials better for this or are natural woods better for this? Is there a artificially produced material that is better for this what what are the various options for for builders from what i was seeing a lot of composite materials are kind of where things are going i don't know if it's necessarily because they're necessarily better than like wood but like uh they may be cheaper you can manufacture them to very specific uh specs uh but a lot of stuff i was seeing was like foam boards kind of a thing is another thing that you see a lot um putting this stuff down before you pour your foundation so that it creates a insulation barrier between the, the dirt and the concrete floor. Uh, so it's actually on the outside of the building. There's different things that are done to help with this thermal bridging effect that you, you can do. A few of the comments on the video I thought were very interesting. One of them was from Dave Dugdale and he wrote before last winter, I air sealed my attic. I have not added more insulation in the attic yet, just air sealing. This winter, my gas usage has been 15 to 20% less. Years ago, I upgraded my gas furnace from an 80% unit to a 98% efficient unit. I didn't see any difference to my usage. Air sealing my attic cost me 10 large cans of spray foam. The furnace cost me $7,000. So this is a... This is kind of a demonstration that sometimes these simple steps towards sealing and looking for the places that a traditional home is leaking energy can have big impacts, 15 to 20% mm-hmm. savings on energy 
for the winter. And I don't know where Dave lives, but for me recently, this winter has been particularly um, colder than than the previous ones. And we've noticed mm-hmm. a increase in the energy usage as a result. And for a couple of years there, it was easy for us to assume like, oh, here's what our bills will typically be. And this year they've doubled simply because it's been colder. So 15 to 20% savings on that can have a, have a big impact. Are there any things other than something like air sealing, you know, using a foam spray? Are there any other simple steps that you would recommend for people to, to look into for a person who's not able to build a passive home, but wants to be able to do things that might have some of these impacts? It really comes down to insulation and depends on where you live. Um, there may be programs you can take advantage of. Like here in Massachusetts, there's a program called Mass Save that the state actually will cover the costs of having a company come in and do an evaluation for how well your home is insulated and helping to make your home more efficient. They'll come in, give you an assessment of here are the things we recommend doing. And then the state through this program will even uh cover some portion of that cost like my wife and i on our house had this pro they came in and did this we ended up having additional insulation blown in the attic and then they actually removed the siding from the house injected additional insulation into the walls and then put the siding back up again and in the end it cost us a couple thousand dollars out of pocket and the remaining portion which was like i think another three thousand dollars or four thousand dollars was covered by the state the impact it had on our heating and cooling bills was jaw-dropping. It, our house also suddenly felt really comfortable all year round. <laughs> it made a humongous difference. It, it was a bigger bang for the buck than putting in a new furnace for us as well. It's, it's, it's like the first place you sh- should start, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you're living, whether you're living in San Diego or you're living in Boston, ensuring that the cold air stays inside your house for air conditioning in a warm climate or the hot air stays inside your home for a cold climate does not matter it's like insulation is where you should start uh, looking around your doors and windows and things like that the one comment i would say about that commenter who talked about how he used spray foam in his attic it was unclear exactly what he meant by spray foaming his attic what he did could potentially be very very bad because attics have to breathe and if uh Basically, your eaves, the the air, there needs to be airflow going up into the attic space, and then the hot air in the attic needs to be able to exhaust. If you don't do it properly, you can actually end up creating, like what I talked about in the video, where you create these, if you do it improperly, you create these zones where the cold air um, gets condensation, and then you can get massive amounts of mold growth. So it's important that an attic can breathe so that the air can go. If he basically... <laughs> sealed off all of the things in his attic and he's not doing some kind of uh, air exchanger system in his attic space he's probably going to see a massive amount of mold growth so it's like you have to know what you're doing just don't go jumping into it make sure you're talking to a professional that can make recommendations for you you can do it yourself very cheaply but talk to a professional before you jump in that's a very good reminder and it's it goes kind of hand in hand with with something i was going to mention which is as somebody who lives in a very old building, this is a pre-war building in Brooklyn. Basically, they're designed to be large rectangular boxes that have rooms uh, cut out of them. No thought went into where's the sun going to go up and down? Wait, how is the air going to going to work in and out of the building? The air works in and out of the building basically through draft. So 
<laughs> but one of the things that is obvious in this building, and if I was to say, oh, I'm going to do a remodeling project, there are certain things that I would pick up on that would be in the same vein of what you've talked about, one of them being temperature uh, differences in this apartment are incredibly varied because of the location of the thermostat. There's one thermostat for this apartment. There are two floors. The one floor is the basement. So obviously a basement is going to be cooler. It has a tile floor. That is also going to add to the colder temperatures down here, especially in the winter. It's great in the summer, but in the winter, um, it's very hard to keep it warm. The thermostat is located immediately outside the kitchen. So as soon as you turn on the oven, the thermostat says, oh, you're at a balmy 84 degrees. All the heat goes off in the building as a result in the apartment. So it is a lesson in strategic thinking and thinking in logical ways. Where is your thermostat located? How are you gauging the temperature? Two thermostats in this apartment would be best. Having a thermostat Mm -hmm. downstairs and one upstairs. What we've ended up having to do is is we have a, a number of space heaters that we have to strategically move as we move around the the apartment doing things. So we have these little uh, heating units that we refer to as Jimmy Lasco. Um, <laughs> the brand of them is Lasco, and I named them all Jimmy. I don't know why, but <laughs> so we have little Jimmy Lascos following us around, and uh, it's fine. But again, that is a energy use now that we're adding on top of heating, which is already inefficient. So I, while we have been more comfortable this winter, I have been kind of grinding my teeth at how because it isn't yeah. doing it in the way that I would prefer. Yeah, it's a there's a massive inefficiency about how do we live, and typically we nobody seems to care because it's like in the United States at least we have ample energy supply and it's relatively cheap and people just don't care. It's like, right. okay, this is my electric bill, just move on. But it's as we're evolving in time right now and we're going to be getting more electric vehicles and the burden on the grid is growing and we have renewable energy systems, which we have to accommodate. It's like, we have to think there's a whole bunch of, well, duh, <laughs> to, to this yeah. kind of stuff. It's like, why don't we just do it this way? Because it's going to not really cost that much more up front. And then it saves an incredible amount of money and energy over time. And it's like, who's not going to want to save thousands of dollars over the course of five to 10 years on their home? Just, just living in it. It's like, who doesn't want that? Right. So it's, it's, we need to see more builders that are building new developments, doing more of this. You see more of, you tend to see more of this in Europe and Canada right now. And it's, it's really just starting to pick up a little bit of steam here in the U S finally, but we, we kind of lag behind <laughs> in most of this stuff that goes hand in hand with a comment from Dallas Taylor who wrote finding a contractor that can build a passive house is the hard part. Houses, at least in my area, are going down in quality and up in price. The work is shockingly shoddy. And I think the housing boom, depending on where you are in the country, in the United States, plays a big part in that. There were housing booms in various areas where now the houses sit empty because neighborhoods won't even stay full, depending on what sort of economic impact a region has experienced. I know that Las Vegas has has that. Um, Parts of Texas are going through major housing booms, and I'm sure that there are 
plenty of opportunities for a housing industry to have people who don't know what they're doing come in at the bottom at level and be building homes and doing things in the wrong way. I'm curious from your perspective, is there something that somebody could look look at a specific type of certification or a certain type of builder that would be a sign of better quality in this regard? Is there a, some sort of national certificate that could be put on a home that says, okay, this has been built in a proper way. There, there are sort you can get your house pass uh, passive house certified, um, or enterfit certified. There is certifications that you can get. And there are things that builders can do to do that. If you're looking for somebody, the biggest recommendation I have is if you're searching for a, con- a construction company or somebody to work with, make sure you're looking for somebody that had talks about and has experience with passive house or net zero those two things um there's websites and companies that are springing up uh one's called i think it's build with rise um and i brought it there was a screenshot of it in my video but it's a it's a website that is kind of like a cross between wayfair and angie's list it's kind of this really kind of one-stop shop that you go in there you plug in your zip code and it will show you uh, rebates and discounts in your area for everything from uh, like what you can get on a new energy efficient furnace to builders to state incentives that can help you build a passive home or a net zero home. Uh, they they have an entire section of products. Like if, so, if you're looking for flooring and you want to go, you don't want to have uh, like sustainable products like bamboo flooring or composite flooring. It's like they have everything from products to builders to everything. So it's kind of like a one-stop shop if you're looking for sustainability and uh, passive homes, that kind of a thing. So I would look for services like Build with Rise or just doing Google searches, asking friends who have built homes. Uh, there's there's more of that coming up, but it's we're still at the early days of it becoming kind of a mass market thing. Right. It would absolutely benefit the industry if there was a standard and there was something that could be a kind of what was the the name of the style of house, the craftsman house, um, which it, names like that that were known for being. Well, there is modular homes. I mean, those are becoming more and more popular. I, I showed one of them at the very end of the video. There's a company, Bright Built Homes. There's a, there's a bunch of these companies that are springing up all over the place. They tend to come from architecture firms that specialize in passive house or net zero homes. I've noticed that there's this trend that when they do that, they tend to have like an offshoot business that they create that is all about modular homes. So they create like a dozen different styles and then you go to them and you say, I want this style and I want it customized. They give you a couple of customization options as to like a range and size. Like it can be between 1500 square feet or 2000 square feet. You just say what you want and they literally build these homes inside of a warehouse in sections that are like the size of a trailer. And then it's like Lego blocks that once the foundation is poured on your site, they deliver these pre-built sections and just like, boop, 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 boop. and then like in a, literally in one day, your, your area goes from like just a basement in the ground to suddenly there's a full house there and they still have to put siding on it and do all that kind of stuff. But you're not building on site, which reduces the problems you have with building in weather uh because they're building it in a a warehouse they can build it like really like tight and airtight into a really tight precision so that that you can't it's harder to do on site and i imagine it's there's a team a a specific team that's building every single one so they all know what they're doing exactly and then um it's also cheaper doing it this way 
So you can, where net, by building a passive house or net zero house can be more expensive, slightly more expensive. This kind of house actually, when you go modular, suddenly it kind of cuts back against that cost. So these houses actually cost not that, it doesn't really cost any different from a regular home, like a stick built house. And the reason I know this is my wife and I are considering doing this. It's, it's still early days. It's not a sure thing, but we've been looking at bright build home for ourselves and looking at the cost, it really is no different than if we went out and hired a contractor to build just a standard house. It's the same cost for the area that we live in, which is just nuts to me. It's like, why would you not go with the modular house, right. <laughs> which is going to save you money over time? In the long term, couldn't this change the way neighborhoods look as well if houses have to be angled in certain directions in order to take advantage of where the sun is at certain times of year? You could end up with an end of the era of houses front doors aimed toward the street couldn't you maybe but the other thing that you got to consider is it's it's not necessarily that you could always have the house the doors facing the front of the street but maybe the way the building is designed where the slope of the roof is always facing southwest if you're in the north you know what i mean so that you can put solar panels facing the southwest The, the front of the house is always the same but the way that the house, like the angles and everything of the roof changes depending on where it's oriented. Right. There's actually a really cool neighborhood in Austin, Texas. When I was down there for Fully Charged, um, a fan of the channel invited me to an air, to go check out an area where she actually just bought a home. And the entire development is being was built as a net zero community. And uh, my wife and I went and drove through it. And it was really, really cool. Every single house had solar panels on it. Um, you could tell by the way, just like what I described, that every house had slopes on their roofs and they were clearly chosen based on <laughs> to give the maximum amount of real estate on a roof towards the proper direction of the sun. Right. And it was, it was, it was a beautiful community. And it was like, this is, it's like, there's a smart builder that's, that's going down this path and we need more of that. So I, I really wish there was a company like that up here in the Northeast that was doing what they're down doing down there in Austin. Right. Real estate being what it is, it may be a matter of there's not enough land. Yeah. You know, where you are in, in Massachusetts. I'm sure I, I can guarantee you there's no company like that doing that here in New York City. That's what, what I find really funny is um, she actually reached out to me again as a follow up because they've, they've moved in, they're, they're living there now. And she was telling me that um, Tesla is building their Austin Gigafactory down there. And where they're building it is probably like a half hour drive from her development. And she said, there has been this massive, massive influx of Tesla employees buying homes in that development. So yeah. she said, they're all over this development now, all these Tesla employees. Right. I was like, well, there you go. Because now she's seeing tons of Teslas in every you know driveway <laughs> because right. there's all these Tesla employees showing up. I was like, that's pretty cool. That's especially cool for the people who built those houses and purchased them initially. But- she- she said she said the 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 sale prices of the houses have just jacked up yeah. because there's been this huge influx because of that factory being built there. Makes sense. Transitioning now to the second half of our show, as usual, we'll talk about some films or TV shows that we've been enjoying. And as usual, Matt, I'm about to flip a coin. <laughs> okay. It's in the air. Heads. Oh, it's tails. That means I go first. Uh, All right. Shoot. Well, as listeners who are regular listeners would remember, I'm currently in the midst of a Polly Platt filmography watch. And Polly is a filmmaker who was introduced to Hollywood through her husband's work as a 
Peter Bogdanovich was a young filmmaker when they met and got married. And then once their relationship ended, she continued to work in Hollywood at various levels of production design and producer, screenwriter. And unfortunately, she's one of the, the lost heroes of modern cinema. So been going through her films and watching them. And the most recent one is one that I'm sure everybody has heard of, which is Terms of Endearment. She was production designer on this and worked closely with James L. Brooks in uh, creating the movie. And people who know the the title, Terms of Endearment, don't need me to recommend the movie, but I'm going to recommend the movie. I had not seen it. Um, if I had seen it, it was probably at a time... I may have been in my 20s, um, and I just didn't remember anything. It is one of those things like Citizen Kane or The Godfather or It's a Wonderful Life. If you're alive in the United States, it's just kind of in the ether. You know about things like that. You don't have to have seen them to know the general gist of the story. So I was aware of the general gist of the story. What I didn't expect was the the level of the performances, despite the fact that the names are things like Shirley MacLaine and Jack Nicholson, uh, the level of the performances there are, are dumbfounding. And Jack Nicholson in particular, partway through watching it, my girlfriend said, you know, he's a creep, but you like him. It's you, you can't help it. Uh, and Shirley MacLaine playing a character who the, the discussions around the movie in the podcast about Polly Platt included the fact that the relationship between the mother and daughter in this Larry McMurtry, who wrote the novel that this was based on was very good friends with Polly Platt. And it was believed that he had written this based on Polly and her daughter's relationship. So Hmm. this movie, which she worked on was in effect working on a movie about herself and watching Shirley MacLaine's performance, um, it just there's not a moment in the movie where it felt like I was wasting my time. And it's more than two hours, and it was it still felt too short. I wanted it to continue past the point where it ended, so I highly recommend it. The other, I saw that a long yeah. I saw that a long time ago, and my one main memory of that is when it came out, I was a little kid, mm-hmm. but I was taking piano lessons. And I had to learn the theme song from that and play it in some like, little, like concert thing. And it was like, so my memory of that movie is not the movie. It's me being forced to learn how to play that stupid theme song. Right. <laughs> Everything is personal. Yes. The other thing I wanted to talk about is a newer movie, which is called The Sunlit Night. And this is a film which it's based on a novel. And it was directed by David Went, and the writer was Rebecca Dinnerstein, who wrote the novel, and she also wrote the first version of the screenplay. And it stars Jenny Slate as a young art student who is, Matt, I'm sure you remember what graduate school uh, could be like, where the level of hammering that you might take in a graduate school class, especially something that's about uh, in the arts can be intense. Mm -hmm. And so very, (laughs) yeah. 
So it's, it's, uh, there can be an attitude in, in graduate work, which is along the lines of, well, you won't develop the scars you need in order to compete unless we make you bleed. And so Jenny Slate's character is an art student who at the beginning of the movie has her work just eviscerated by her teachers. She wants to get away from basically everybody. She wants to be able to catch her breath and on the heels of this experience of her work being torn apart right before the beginning of summer break, she ends up getting dumped by her boyfriend, finds out her parents are getting divorced. Her sister has gotten engaged to be married to a guy that nobody in the family likes. And the home where she lives with her parents and her sister is a small studio apartment in Manhattan, which they have divided into very small little cubicle areas so there's no place to get away to to get away from all of this she ends up taking an internship in norway to work with an artist who is a very reclusive and very surly norwegian man and the project that they are working on is painting a barn and the movie stars jenny slate it also stars jillian anderson and zach galifianakis David Pamer, who's a that guy for movies and television going back decades, plays her father. And he puts in a performance that is absolutely stunning as an extremely miserable and angry man who is so cruel to the people in his family. And yet they love him. And he plays that part with a level of malevolence in the way he talks to them and also absolutely he's blind to his own rage and his performance is small in the movie as a whole but stands out as as one of the highlights of it and this also for me cements my belief that jenny slate is on a path where she will eventually get an oscar because i think she is she's started as a comedian she's well known as a comedian she has in her those things like Adam Sandler, where when she turns her eye to a dramatic performance, she nails it. And I really like watching her. She's really, really good. So the movie is about her experience in Norway of trying to get away from it all while also trying to find herself. And it incorporates lots of references to art. It includes a lot of voiceover in which she discusses how the world around her reminds her of various levels of art and various art periods. And it includes images which are taken from, from various um, artists and it is visually a beautiful movie. It's a little thin. It runs about 85 minutes long, I think, but because it's 85 minutes long, it doesn't feel like it doesn't drag. I wish that it had gone a little deeper into certain things, but because it doesn't waste your time by looking around blindly for those things, it feels like it's well put together. So on the whole, I found it to be a watchable movie and I do recommend it. I think especially for her performance and for David Pamer's performance. Um, and for people who are, are interested in it because Zach Galifianakis or Jillian Anderson, they play supporting roles and they support, they, they play them beautifully they play those roles with the intention of highlighting the movie not themselves and i like that kind of performance when you have a big name like a, a zach galifianakis who's not trying to steal scenes or when jillian anderson comes in and jillian anderson loves making interesting choices 
she's playing a russian she's playing a russian matriarch in this she comes in with this just a scowl and an accent and she makes very interesting choices in her career she's she's not doing any of this for like oh this is going to get me the money she's doing things because she's interested in doing them and that kind of performance is, is stand out for me so on the whole i give this a thumbs up and i recommend it that sounds really really good i have to check that out on my side i'm going to bring up something this is like how you keep talking about the poly Platt, like updates babylon 5 update <laughs> i'm, I'm We're covering I'm a lot of territory. that show i know i'm, st- I'm sticking with that show I've, <laughs> i was saying this to my wife just yesterday it's funny how my first impressions of watching while i was watching season one was like how the hell is this show so popular with how does it have diehard fans like the acting is abysmal the writing is abysmal the production value looks like a high school play. It's like everything about it is just yeah. it's like, don't touch on. that wall. It's not dry yet. Yeah. <laughs> they touch a door and the whole wall wiggles. It's yeah. like, it's like, it's not, it's not great. And I'm like, it, people talk about how good this show is. I'm going to stick with it. I'll keep going with it. I am now in season three. Mm-hmm. I can't ingest this show fast enough now. <laughs> yes. It has turned into this. Yeah. What what is happening? This show is one of the best science fiction show stories. I'm going to be very clear that stories I've yes. ever seen in film or television. Period. Bar none. Incredible. Production values still in the toilet. It's yeah. still not a well-produced show. The acting has definitely gotten better. It has absolutely gotten better because it seems like the actors have found themselves in yeah. the characters. Yeah. And it feels like there's more writers that have been writing episodes. So it feels like there's actually better dialogue and things happening where it feels more natural. In the first Uh, season, it felt very much like they were just reading the story Bible. Yes. Like somebody would step out almost holding it in front of them and say, these characters don't get along. They combat with each other because of historical differences. They don't have the same philosophy or view of life. It it feels very, yeah. It's the George Lucas prequels where everybody is like a wooden, like yeah. automaton, just reading words that nobody would say. Yeah. But That's what's going on in the one, Senate? Yeah. Season one felt that way. Season two started to break that down and become more normal. And by the end of season two, beginning of season three, it's just like, okay, this show is phenomenal. So it's like, if <laughs> I would recommend this show wholeheartedly to anybody but it comes with that massive caveat of you gotta push through season one and it's hard it's so hard to push through that and you can't skip it that's the part that that drives me nuts i was saying to my wife that she needs to watch the show because she's a huge sci-fi geek too she loves reading those soap soap opera style multi-book series science fiction novels this show is that yeah. It is a sprawling, just incredible. <laughs> it's just incredible. And the other thing that has really surprised me about the show is how present it is to the moment we are living through right now. Yeah. And there's a not giving anything away. There's this whole thing happening on Earth where there's basically been a quiet coup yeah. that has taken place. And there's this authoritarian building that's been happening with basically almost like an SS, like a, that's been building. And 
if I had watched an this Earth show, First movement, yes, literally Earth First. That's, yeah, it, it it basically the new president is is Donald Trump, and it's it the the news reporting is Fox News. It is it is crazy. If I had watched this show when it was brand new, I probably would have thought, "Oh, come on, that's so over the top." But the fact that we've actually been living through this today, I can I'm tell looking you, at this going, yeah. this is like, it's, it is, I, <laughs> I I'm speechless because yeah. it's so accurate to what we're going through today. Nothing feels larger than life because it's like we're living through exactly what they're showing us. As somebody who did watch it at that point, uh-huh. I did have that response that you just described. I thought, okay, the Nazi metaphors, we get it fascism yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, not yeah, gonna yeah. happen uh, and then, <laughs> here we are <laughs> i follow straczynski on twitter and mm-hmm. throughout the the era of the last administration people would tweet at him all the time saying i just got to season three mm-hmm. and his response was always vigilance is key you can't assume the past always stays in the past. Sometimes yes. it comes back. And so it's right like you were saying. He he wrote about the circle of history. And mm-hmm. we are at a point on the wheel where we're going back through one of those hard times. And I agree with you. The show, performance level-wise, gets better because the actors just become more comfortable being themselves in those characters. And the writing does get better. But it also just starts to feel more familiar overall. It feels yes. more you feel more comfortable viewing it and 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 knowing what your expectations should be. And when they were making that show, they were making it largely with a shoestring budget. They had for yeah. the special effects, they had something that they called the toaster, which was yep. at the time a high end cutting edge effects yeah. machine, which for the time did stuff that they said we can do movie level special effects for television <laughs> to give people who might not have seen it a reference point. Think of the movie, the last starfighter. That's yes. what the special effects in this show look like. And the last starfighter came out years earlier than Babylon five. This is not, they were using the same technology as the last starfighter. They achieved the look of the last starfighter. So for television at that time, that was great because it allowed them to do what, something like Deep Space Nine was doing for about 10% of the budget. So Deep Space Nine was putting in $5 million per episode, and they were putting in 500000 That's the scale. So, yep. yep. But again, but the, I continue whole, to say, that's a show that I do, I, I, yeah. I think you're overall going to enjoy the whole story arc. And I also agree with your comparison to the soap opera, space operas. Um, those series of novels where it's telling yeah. that large scale storyline. It, it is one of those. The, the character development spectacular. Like at the beginning, there's two characters, Londo and the, the Narn advanced mm-hmm. ambassador. It's like, you think you know who they are because they're these paper thin two dimensional. Oh, I know what they are. Where they are now in season three is so wildly different from where they are. The, the, prog- the path of progression there's a little bit of a breaking bad with one of the characters. Yeah. <laughs> and, there's, and then there's, and then there's this just basically finding uh, a spiritual center for the other character that yeah. is just so 
heart-wrenching with what he's going through. It is just the growth and development of these characters is spectacular. So yeah. if you're a sci-fi fan and you can <laughs> you're okay pushing through some really bad TV for the first season, yeah. you get to some spectacular TV by yeah. the third season. Yeah. Um the only other thing I wanted to bring up is this past week, uh, it's a video game that just came out in a demo called Outriders, which is kind of like um Square Enix, the publisher. It's kind of their destiny it's Bungie's destiny it's kind of their version of that um i've been playing it and i just kind of want to say i am i'm enjoying it (laughs) with some caveats because there's a whole bunch of it where it feels like oh they just take gears of war (laughs) smashed it with destiny (laughs) and just mixed it up a little bit with some other games it's like there's it's like when you're playing it there's nothing new there's nothing Mm -hmm. like it feels very uh, I'm not gonna say paint by numbers. It feels very just like, okay, I've seen this before, but it's a little bit of Gears of War. It's a little bit of Destiny. It's a little bit of this. It's a little bit of that. So it, where its origins come from are just plain as day. But what mm. I find really, the reason I'm bringing this up is this game is not coming. It's coming out not too long from now. This, what they're calling a demo is not a demo. It's a beta. And what's shocking to me is they're allowing you to transfer whatever your whatever you develop for your character in this demo will carry over to the finished game. That's unusual for a demo or a beta. Usually when you do a beta, you play it for five hours and whatever you do in the game, when the new game comes out, you basically have to start over and do it all over again. This game, you don't. So whatever you do in this demo will carry over to the final game, which is really cool. This game has bugs like i've never seen in a beta like this it is hysterical i was playing with our mutual friend frank and (laughs) frank for some reason the sound in the game broke and all he could hear were some not all of the environmental effects so all of the characters that are talking he couldn't hear anything (laughs) he couldn't hear other people's guns firing he couldn't hear anything other than he was saying to me he could hear my character's clothes rubbing (laughs) he could he could hear my character sometimes grunting when i was getting hit with something and he could hear his gun firing so he was watching cutscenes of people talking and he would just start laughing hysterically because all he could hear was the main character's like armor clinking but and then he was just reading <laughs> subtitles because there was nothing else going on whereas we're, we're running down a hill he could all he could hear was my <laughs> my clothes rubbing on themselves so it was like there's stuff like that i was seeing things where the the timing of the audio was off not just by a fraction of a second but it would be off by sometimes several seconds so you know like a bad dub where somebody's talking yeah. and then like what they're saying is actually ha- what their mouth is doing is like a full sentence ahead, right. but it was happening to sound effects. So there was this dramatic <laughs> moment where this one character basically executes somebody. Like pulls out a gun and goes bang, and so they they're like blah, 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 and their character goes, <laughs> and then starts saying the next <laughs> sentence, and suddenly goes kapow, <laughs> like a good a good two or three seconds later. I could not stop laughing at how bad it was there were things where my character was kind of like going in and out of the environment there was a section where i went turned a corner (laughs) the entire environment disappeared and it was just me and this other character in a black void and it looked like it was some kind of like like uh stranger things like we were in the uh upside down it was just this weird 
what's happening. Nightmarish. But beyond all of the weird bugs, there's um the storyline is really compelling. And I it's a very dark version of Destiny. It's kind of the way I would describe it. It's got this really dark streak that is it, it very it's a very gritty realistic science fiction like the expanse tv show and book series it's got this very kind of realistic streak to it and the way they bring in these kind of supernatural superhero powers like destiny has the way they bring it in is very interesting and unique and there's this kind of mystery box to like what it all means and how things are unfolding and the planet they're stuck on so i'm really enjoying the story and I'm hoping, crossing my fingers, that when the final version comes out, <laughs> these bugs are gone. Because if they're not, this is going to be a train wreck of a release. Because um, mm. wow, the bugs are <laughs> bugs aplenty. It's a fun. It's a fun we're game. In the midst, but... We're in the midst of a difficult time for game developers. Where um, yeah, there was recently a large state of the game of destiny released and matt if you haven't read that i recommend that you check it out as a person who played destiny and you left it behind to go try different things um there are certain things about destiny which are going to be changed the the state of the game goes into those things in detail a lot of those changes are going to, I think, be things that will entice people like you back into the game and make it easier to come back, even if it's only for like one seasonal period as opposed to ongoing play. But one of the things that was highlighted in it as sort of a background thing was how difficult 2020 and the continuing pandemic lifestyle has been for game developers. They're trying to do these things which are difficult on their own even when you have the ability to have teams in one spot and work together cohesively on these things putting everybody at home and having all this done remotely has been a trying experience and bungie by and large has been very successful at doing that there's been a lot of dissatisfaction with a few of the recent seasons the current season is getting very positive response from the community but when they do a biodoc about the development of the current seasons and they reveal that some of the sound effects are created by the sound effects engineers by using things in their home that tells you yep. where they are, what's going on and the difficulties that they're facing. There was um, one of the biggest memes that came out of this was a woman revealed that one of the sound effects that you will hear the machinery in the background of one section of the, of the current year of the current campaigns sound effects was a breast pump that she used um so things like that that have been incorporated into the game and people using things like cookware in their kitchen the sounds of their oven door and stuff like that to create all these sound effects for the game developers like the one of the biggest calamities of of recent gaming was cyberpunk where it came out Mm -hmm. largely unprepared um, can't play on yeah. old generation consoles. It's clearly it was it should have been targeted only for next gen consoles, but they didn't want to lose market, so they released it in a state where, on by and large, for older consoles, it just doesn't run. Um, and with a number of bugs, even in the new consoles, that make it laughably bad at times. And then you have this experience with with outriders and it is i think it's been delayed at, i know it's been delayed at least once 
it may have been delayed more than that. And when a game is getting those levels of delay, there's a reason why. They don't delay it because they're mm-hmm. thinking, oh, we've got a whole, you know, like, let's give ourselves time to really make a great trailer. That's not why you delay a game like this. You delay a game like this because somebody in the testing is like, the terrain disappears or the sound effects are yeah. gone. They're experiencing well, that. And I agree with you. I, I, I think that that game looks very interesting and very promising as an alternative. For me, I'm very, very committed to, to, to Destiny. And I, and I, don't have a lot of time to play video games. So I end up playing one game in a very committed way. But Outriders does look like a game that could be an alternative for me that would really kind of scratch an itch that I sometimes don't don't get yeah. scratched. But I definitely don't want to invest 60 bucks, 70 bucks into a game that's going to no. have character lines disappear or sound effects come in a full three seconds late and you hear the gunfire after the gun's been put away. It's it's stuff yeah, like that, no, and I also my heart goes out to the developers because they're trying to do all this while working in very difficult circumstances. So I, I've said this before, but I worked in the video game industry. I know some of what they're going through, and I can tell you, like, yes, when I was working in video games, we could have all worked remotely, but I can't tell you how many times there would be three or four of us standing around somebody's computer and like being like talking on the fly about like, oh, that's not quite working right. Let's move it over here. Let's change this. How about you tweak this? And then you have a technical artist going in and making some changes and then you play it back and like, okay, that's so so much better. It's like having that collaborative in the same space time with each other is very important. And when you're lacking that, it really slows things down. You can still do the job, but it really slows it down. And when I was playing this demo, it's like, I can guarantee you that the build that's going to come out, what we're playing in the demo is probably something that was finished a month ago. It's like, it's probably a build that's four to six weeks old. So in the four to six weeks, what they're going to release is going to be, I can guarantee much better than what's we're playing today. It's probably gonna be very different, but at the same time, is it going to be good enough? Is it going to work through most of these bugs? Because I know they know all the problems they have to fix, but they're probably doing this mad dash triage of like, you know, is it good enough? It's like, yeah, we know those bugs are still here, but is it good enough? Is it playable? Is it, is it broken? Right. I just hope they don't do what cyberpunk did and push it out too early. Listeners should let us know what they think about this. Have you had experiences like this with video games or have you checked out any of the movies or TV shows that we've talked about? What are your thoughts about Babylon five? Did you make it through season one? Please tell Matt you did. (laughs) You can find the contact information in the podcast description. If you're watching this on YouTube, you'll find it on the YouTube page. Please do subscribe wherever you're listening and let us know what you think. You can directly support the podcast. Visit stilltbd.fm and you'll see the support the podcast link. We appreciate any support that you give us, whether it's through the podcast donation page or whether it's simply through listening, subscribing, and liking. Please be sure to give us a rating, review, and share us with your friends. All those things really do help the podcast. And then the podcast helps the channel, the channel helps Matthew, and then Matthew finally gets around to watching Babylon 5. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.